Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Praise God. Let's get our Bible, shall we? want to go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. Praise God. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness or godlikeness is a good way of looking at that. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Does that sound like today to you? Does that just sound like today? Just strife, railings, evil surmisings, disputing, perverse disputings, destitute of truth. Supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. Withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain. Somebody say certain. It is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. I'm going to just let that sit for a minute. Be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and unto many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown, drown men in destruction and perdition, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of honey is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Then he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I want to talk to you about the good fight tonight. 
Amen. It's the battle for contentment. The good fight. Everybody say the good fight. It's a good fight. Heavenly Father, we love you today and we praise you, God, for this gathering of people. Lord, I pray your blessings upon, Lord, us here. Bless those that are watching online. Lord, those that have joined in that area. God, I pray your blessings upon them as well. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for your goodness. Let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. May be seated. <clears throat> Today's culture seems to be on a never-ending quest for happiness. Happiness. I want to be happy. It's my right to be happy. They have converted the pursuit of happiness for the right of happiness no matter what anybody else feels. The American culture, the Western culture is obsessed with this. We are. The pursuit of more. The advertising giants today has taken this ravenous appetite for more and just pours gas on it by saying, if you use this toothpaste, it'll make you happy. If you'll drink this drink, it'll make you happy. If you drive this car, it'll make you happy. And, and it just churns, churns up the whole uh, appetite of more and more and more. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says that the horse leech, in verse uh, chapter 30 and verse 15, it says, the horse leech hath two daughters, and they cry, give, give, give. Uh, wisdom here describes a blood-sucking monster that all it wants is to, to, to just pull the life out of a being. Amen. Edith Dreiper said it like this. Half the world is unhappy because it can't have the things that are making the other half unhappy. Half the world is unhappy because they can't have the things that the other half has that make them unhappy. Without contentment, man's passions for gain will lead him down a path towards greed, covetousness, grumbling, complaining, dissatisfaction, discontent, don't like this, don't like that, and then ultimately to spiritual ruin. True fulfillment and happiness, according to Scripture, is not found by possessions. Not, it is not found by position or status because if possessions... And status and position was enough to make people happy, America would be the happiest place in the world. But it isn't, is it? Helen Keller was a, a lady, I'm sure you've heard about her. She could not, she was blind, she was deaf, and she, she, she couldn't speak. She could only communicate through uh, uh, communication by sign language or writing, but she said that she became an, an incredible author. But she said this, many persons have a wrong idea about what constitutes true happiness. 
It's not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Amen. We're here on this planet not just to so that we could be a blood-sucking leech and just take things in and take things in, but to be a part of a purpose. We're here for a purpose. Amen. The key to contentment is to abide in the vine. Jesus said, if you'll abide in me and I abide in you, amen, you can have what you will. He shall be done unto you. It's about abiding in him. Amen. I want to abide in him. How about you? The world and its discontentment is based upon also the age that we're living in where the process of production and abundance is just routine now. We humans expect it. We demand it. We crave it. Our appetite has exploded for more. We want more. We want, la- we want the latest, the greatest, the newest, the most powerful. We become less uh, fulfilled by something that we bought that we thought it was going to fulfill us, and it doesn't, and so, so we want more. Well, if that, you know, how many realize that your iPhone number one was like the greatest thing since sliced bread? It was a computer in your hand. Now, nobody wants an iPhone one. It might be good for a doorstop, but we want more. We demand it. We've got to have it. Uh, There are advantages to living in an hour of abundant stuff. There are advantages of living in a time where there is great prosperity. I don't care what the economy is right now. America is still one of the best places economically to live. Everybody eating, everybody's still driving, even though gas is stupid high, everybody's still going because we've got so much blessings. There's advantage to having abundance, but there's also a disadvantage because problems comes along with this, this discontentment, uh, uh, imbalance. We become imbalanced uh, as progress accelerates and as prosperity blesses us. Uh, there, there's a tendency to get overbalanced in, in our approach to possessions, to money, to life, to grabbing things and wanting more imbalance also the 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 discontentment has amplified stress because people don't have peace they have worry they've got fear and dread but now they have amplified stress another problem is overload overload anybody ever seen a, a receptacle that had about four different uh, 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 extension cords plugged into it, and, and then off of that, they had another four, and then we had, you know, then all of a sudden we wonder why sparks fly is because we're overloaded. We keep plugging in more. We keep trying for more. We keep reaching for more, and so we have overload. Also, this kind of discontentment brings a, a cultural complexity because people want what is theirs and they're right, uh, and so stress comes, change comes, uh, 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 volatility and intensity and, and all of these that come into our life. Uh, I, I believe that, it, that that stuff is good. How about you? 
I love modern things. How about you? But I don't want it to to ruin my life by me becoming so discontent that I can't survive one more day without the latest, greatest thing that's happening to me. Prosperity without contentment is a dangerous concoction. Prosperity without contentment is a dangerous mixture. Study the history of the Roman Empire and you will see a lot of parallels between the modern day Western world and the Roman culture. The majority of, the, of, of Babylon's alphabet soup resides in prosperous country. This is my opinion. I don't have any official research, but just some observations that I have, have found is that you can go to the third world country and you're not going to find a lot of folks that are wrapped up in transgenderism. You're not going to find a lot of folks that are all beating the air protesting because they got to go to work and they have to get something to eat. Isn't that a great observation? Not scientific, but it's just, just it's interesting that, that, uh, that North America and Europe has a high level of all this, but you go into Africa and some of these other third world countries and they don't have that, I believe is because we've got so much discontentment in our world. It's that people say, I don't, I'm not happy with this, so I'm going to be this. I, I, I'm not happy with having this, so I'm going to have that. I'm not happy with being a a man. I want to be a woman. I'm not happy with being a woman. I want to be a man. Now I want to be a Furby. Now I'm not happy with this. I got to be that. And, 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 And you know what? This is my observation. I'll tell you what stops this in its tracks. And that is a depression. Nobody's signing up for that. I know that. But the, the discontentment that is in our world has caused people's emotion to say, I want more. I got to have more. I got to have more. If I can't have this wife, I'm going to go get me another wife. I'll trade her in for another model. Discontentment. Satan sold Eve on a bill of goods based on discontentment because what he was trying to tell her was this, God is keeping something from you. God's keeping something from you, something good for you. It was just the opposite. God desired for his people to have all that they need. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Luke 12 and 32, Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his pleasure to give you things. It's his pleasure to supply your needs over and over. He said, I'll supply your need. It's his pleasure. Amen. Look at 2 Peter uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness uh, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye 
might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I have, he's given to us all things. How many things? All things. He's got what I need. And he said, I'll give to you all things that pertain unto life and godliness. There's that word. It's what the battle is for. Godliness. But discontentment has gotten the people of God in deep waters and trouble more than once. The Israelites complained about their food and their, they complained about this and why they were discontent. My goodness, you're not working slave labor. Wake up and enjoy the day. Get you a cup of coffee and say, hello, praise the Lord world. It's going to be a great day. Hallelujah, I, I, I wish, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to refrain myself, but, but let me just say this. I watch people as they, their life is so horrible, so awful, so bad, so turbulent. Amen. You know what? I could take a poll right here in this congregation and every one of us could write down 10 things right now that are bugging us, hurting us, frustrating us, got us aggravated, that, that we're so upset that, that, and then we think that nobody else has got that. Nobody else is having to deal with that. Nobody else has got, nope. Only me. I'm the only one. Nobody, everybody else's life is perfect and wonderful, like a picturesque uh, Instagram post. Everything's wonderful. Everything's fine. Everything's good. Baloney. We all deal with ups and downs. We all have issues. Amen. The difference is, am I going to be content in him, or am I going to be discontent with this life and begin to grumble and gripe and complain? Praise God. Now, that's, that's the whole point of my message. Thank you, Bishop. Discontentment is defined like this. Unhappiness caused by the failure of one's hopes, desires, or expectations. Disappointment. Disgruntled. Dissatisfied let down and regretful, discontent. Author Dr. Roger Freeman said this, discontentment is epidemic today. Everywhere I look, people are, are complaining about something. In our nation, the government is just not doing enough. In our schools, the teachers are not teaching or there isn't enough money in our homes, the man is not leading, or the children are rebelling in our churches, the pastors are failing to meet our expectations. He said, in the largest denomination in America, the number of forced resignations of pastors is up 60% from the year before. People have no sense of contentment, no understanding of God at work in their lives. Amen. Everywhere you look, people are down on the government. They're down on this. They're down on media. 
rightfully so. That down on Hollywood, everybody's upset at everybody. Nobody, every, it's such a wrangling today from, from what you hear on the news and, and what you see on post and what you see everywhere. What is it? It's the enemy stirring up the spirit of discontentment. I'm just not content. It's not, it's not hot enough. It's not cold enough. It doesn't taste good enough. Is there not enough salt in this? And, 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 and should we not have this? And, and should we not do that? It's just a spirit of discontentment. Amen. I realize dis- discontentment is a part of the fallen nature. It is natural for the flesh to be dissatisfied. Nobody teaches you that. None of us had to learn how to worry. None of us had to learn how to complain and grumble and gripe. There is no university that's teaching you how to grumble and complain and gripe because everybody knows how to do that. Praise God. Why don't you just give your pastor one of these right there? Yeah, thank you. It's natural. It's natural. But Jesus said, take heed... And beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. My life and your life is not marked by what we have in the bank or what we have in possessions. So the battle is over this happiness and contentment issue. The quest for contentment and the pursuit of happiness are not the same. The quest for contentment and the pursuit of happiness are not the same. Mark Twain said it like this. Happiness ain't a thing in itself. It's only a contrast with something that ain't pleasant. I know that's not good English, but I'm quoting him. He goes on to say, And so as soon as the novelty is over and the force of the contrast is dulled, It ain't happiness any longer, and you have to go get something fresh. Unquote. The quest for happiness has created this huge dependency upon highs, emotional highs. We leapfrog from one activity or relationship or purchase or event or situation Till we lose that fix and we got to go somewhere else. Can I just tell you, stop letting Hollywood tell you what a marriage looks like. It doesn't look like a 30-minute sitcom. It doesn't look like a two-hour movie. It's a marathon of life that has many ups and downs, many ins and outs. Amen. Has all kinds of issues. Don't allow the enemy to tell you the first time that something goes wrong, like, well, I'm done. Thank you. Far too many are living for the short burst of happiness that drugs now bring. Short, short burst of, ooh, I feel good. The high is high. It's kind of like riding a, riding a roller coaster in the dark. Who'd ever think of such? 
I'm going to ride a roller coaster in the dark. You don't know where the hill is. You don't know where the valley is. It's just like, woo, hee, woo, woo, hoo, hee. It's the way a lot of people are doing today. Short burst of happiness, then down, and then up. Happiness is characterized by good luck. Being fortunate. Good luck. Happiness is about enjoyment or showing pleasure or having pleasure, satisfaction, uh, being cheerful, being happy. Contentment, on the other hand, according to Mr. Vines, defining the word in the Greek, primarily signifies to be sufficient, <clears throat> to be possessed of sufficient strength, to have enough to do a thing. Amen. The writer says in Hebrews, it says, uh, be content with such things as you have. He said, because I'll never leave you or forsake you. How are you going to top that? Amen. Happiness is, is about a feeling. Contentment is about a being. Happiness is about a feeling. Contentment is about a being. Happiness relates to our emotions and pulls on our heartstrings. But contentment travels deep within the core of the inner man that says, my outside doesn't dictate my inside. My circumstance doesn't dictate what I feel and know to be the truth. So when, 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 when Paul is writing in verse 12, when he says, fight the good fight of faith. Go back up and look at the context. He's talking about all this discontentment and all that it brings. And he said, but godliness, amen, contentment and godliness is great gain. How are we going to fight? We're going to fight knowing that God is my need supplier. We're going to fight that God is bigger than my emotions. We're going to fight knowing that he is able to be my shepherd, to be my source to be my help to be my strength even when my world is, is in chaos he is my calm that's the fight let me go back I just want to read again our text to re-familiarize you with this 1 Timothy 6 and 3 if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, to the teaching, which is according to godliness. Amen. If he doesn't consent to that, then here is what, where they're at. Verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, accusations, talking, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw yourself. This world is drunk on greed. It is drunk on gain. It is drunk on just having more. But I want to tell you today, we need to withdraw from that. 
There's nothing wrong with the acquisition of stuff as long as we have godliness and contentment in that place. The next few verses we're going to dive into a little bit deeper where he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Say that with me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That means it's profitable. There's a profit in, in this equation. There's a profit there's a profit that refers to excess after the transaction is over, which means that's a good transaction. My very first car that I bought, I worked and bought, was a 1975 Green Gremlin. Straight six, three on the floor. When I bought that car, I bought it for $500. It had, we bought it, and it had two inches of dirt in the floorboard. The guy had, had hauled animals in that. I, I think he must have had cows inside of it. Honest, we scraped up. The carpet was gone. There was no carpeting in there. It had in the back window, if you know what a gremlin, a gremlin looks like, for all you young folks, go Google it sometime. But it has, had a little hatchback window. And in that hatchback window was a cowboy scene, like you see in the back of a pickup. <laughs> Green gremlin. My dad took the engine apart and literally took a putty knife and cleaned it off the, the oil that had just adhesed, glued to the side of the, of the, the cover there, the manifold cover, gasket cover, what do we call it? You know, tell you why he did that and I didn't. <laughs> we he took everything apart and we cleaned it and he put it back in and we prayed over it. That thing never burned a drop of oil. It run like a scalded dog. I could squeal it. Amen for a good ways when my dad wasn't looking. <laughs> Squeal those tires. I put indoor, outdoor carpeting. Green. <laughs> Bought it for $500. Put me indoor, outdoor carpeting. I took the glove compartment. It had an AM, FM radio. I took the glove compartment and I put in the glove compartment, recessed it in there, a cassette player. That you had to pull, the, open the door of the glove compartment to play the cassette. It was cool. I was so proud of that car. I love that car. I sold it for $750. I thought that that's the way that every car transaction took place. Ever since then, I've lost on every vehicle that we've ever owned. But the green gremlin was profitable unto me. I made a profit on it. Can I just tell you, godliness with contentment is profitable. 
It'll get you through in a world that is wrapped up in its own idea of pleasure and happiness and what makes people happy and stuff makes people happy and things make people happy. Amen. But that's not the case with God. Oh, can you thank the Lord that God has a profit loss statement? Hallelujah. God has a profit loss statement that's different than the world's. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation, let your conduct, let your demeanor, let your life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Take a minute and thank the Lord for that word. Hallelujah. But I don't have this and I don't have that and I don't, I would love to, ah, he said he'd never leave me or forsake me. I'm going to be all right. Praise God. I remember years ago preaching and saying gas may go to $5 a gallon. Well, it did. And he still was there. Hallelujah. I said he still was there. He was able to supply the need. Thank the Lord today for that. So the formula that the Lord sets up is godliness with contentment is great gain. And then look, we're going to break down these next few verses that shows us some components and ingredients of how to have contentment, how to win in this battle for contentment. Verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. Nothing, here, here's the component that we must remember. Nothing tangible is eternal. The house, the car, the merchandise, all of that does not go with us in a U-Haul. Does it mean that we shouldn't pursue good things? I don't mean that at all. It doesn't, thank God for his blessings. How many of you thank God for his blessings right now? Hallelujah. But none of the wealth is going to go with us when it comes to the things that are temporal. This tangible world is not, I don't care how sacred of a cow we think it is. It's not going with us. Not going with us. Hallelujah. So nothing, we brought nothing into this world. What was it that Job said? I came in here without any clothes. I'm leaving without any clothes. I came in, in this world without anything. I'm leaving without anything. Oh, wait, but I've got him who said he'd never leave me or forsake me. Oh, oh, wait, yeah, I do have something. I've been born again of the water and the spirit. I know I'm going to go with, be with... Wait a second. Now, there's some gain in that. There's some gain in that. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Come on and praise the Lord for that truth. Nothing tangible is eternal. But we often lose sleep and we often worry and fret over that which is tangible. 
Not that we shouldn't be concerned. You understand what I'm saying. But when the, when the balances are made, we need to make sure that our understanding of possessions, of life, of finances, of things, uh, of situation is that, hey man, I'm living this life to live again. I'm living this now because I'm going to be an overcomer now. But my ultimate goal is to sit with him, to rule and reign with him. My ultimate goal is heaven. My ultimate goal is walking on street of gold. Amen. My ultimate goal is to be in his presence throughout eternity. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Nothing tangible is eternal. Verse 7. Verse 8. Then he says, And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. So here's the bar that you need for contentment. Here's the bar. Food and raiment. I can be content. That's what he's saying. He didn't even say anything about where you're living. So a homeless person, food and raiment, be content. And that's a bar that, that, that I don't know that we want to look at too often because it, it's convicting. Material possessions do not dictate then our state of contentment. The man in the grass hut, the man who has nothing and lives in a grass hut, can praise the Lord and experience the presence of God and the blessings of God as much as the man that lives in his $2 million mansion. Everything else is blessing, y'all. Everything else is blessing. Amen. So what does verse 8 teach us? Needs supersedes wants. When it comes to contentment, needs supersedes want. Look at verse 9. But they that be rich, notice that very carefully. He doesn't say that they that are rich, but he said they that be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which draw men in destruction and perdition. They that be rich, they that be rich. Those that desire to be rich. Those that rich, being rich is their intent, their focus. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The rich says, I seek this and possessions and, 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 and go after everything, that whatever I can find. Amen. I know that, 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 that we, we should be blessed. I know that we should be prosperous and we are. Thank God for the prosperity of MPC. Thank God that God has blessed us. But I want to tell you, a lot of this prosperity doctrine is nothing but but a damnable doctrine from hell because it goes back to the whole idea that a man in a hut can praise God just like a man in a mansion. It's about whose we are, not what we are. It's about whose we are, not what we have. Proverbs 28, 20, and then verse 22. Uh, verse 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich 
shall not be innocent. That means shall not go unpunished. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Amen. Thank the Lord for his blessings. That's where contentment comes is with his blessings. Verse 22. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. And considereth not the poverty shall come upon him. Contentment is not the mere acquisition of wealth. Being rich should not be our goal. Pleasing God and living for him and living for his purpose. That should be our goal. And if the Lord blesses us to be rich, praise be to the Lord. Amen. Thank God for that. But riches should not be our aim. Pleasing God should be our aim. Hallelujah. Proverbs also writes in 15 and 27, He that is greedy of gain, trouble this own house, but he, uh, uh, but he that hateth gifts shall live. What does that mean? It means I, I'm not going to be bought by anything. I'm not gonna, nothing has is, is got me but God. Nothing has got me but God. Also, Proverbs writer, it's interesting that a man that had a whole bunch of money, 700 wives and 300 concubines, a man that was loaded would say this, but he's also the same man that says that all is vanity under the sun. He knew what he was talking about. Proverbs 23 and 4, labor not to be rich, cease from thy own wisdom, Wilt thou set thy eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. Can I get a witness? Anybody paying your taxes lately? That riches make them wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. The NIV reads of this. Do not wear out yourself to get rich. Have the wisdom to show some restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, for they are gone and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The real question is, I think we ought to think, is what does it mean to be rich? What, how much do you have to have and how much do you have to make to really be called rich? Is there an answer? How much would it? A million dollars a year? That sounds pretty rich to me. But the guy that just signed a $200 million contract to throw a football don't sound like much. Right? How about this? Some statistics for us to think about. Two billion people on this planet live on less than $2 a day. Two billion live on less than $2 a day. The average laborer in Gahana would have to work 200 years to earn $32,000. I'm rich. Rich is a relative term because when you pursue it as being the ultimate end goal, when you get there, it's like, I don't have enough. 
$25,000. That's great. When I get to $25,000, I need $125,000. And when I get to $125,000, that's great, but mm, I might need $250,000. I get to $250,000, I might need to... I need that bill. I need to be able to say I'm a millionaire. I got to, when I get there, the point is this, is that riches and even being rich is a fleeting subjective idea. <laughs> but if I know the Lord, he's going to be with me. He's going to be with Matter of fact, Paul later on in this, this, this chapter talks about the riches a little bit. I'm going to read this here. He said in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, charge them that are rich in the world that they be not high-minded. That they be not high-minded. Just because you got some bucks doesn't make you any better, smarter than the, last, the next guy over there. Nor trust in uncertain riches. Amen. They can be gone in a day. Lose it all in a matter of moments. But trust in the living God who giveth us richly. Look at this line. He giveth us richly. Say it. All things to enjoy. Hallelujah. I, I just want you to take a survey of your life and what you have and where you are and whose you have and your family and your relatives and your kids and your cars and your job and of this and of that and that coffee machine and that, uh, the, 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 uh, the ice box and you got this and, and, and that, uh, that big screen TV that you have and just take a minute and say, praise be to God. Next time I put that cup under the ice thing in my refrigerator, I'm going to thank you, Lord, because you said I can enjoy all things. Watch that. Look at that. Isn't that great? I could even crunch it. I could put it on crush. I'll crush that ice. The point is this. Folks, we need to wake up and say, God, you've been good to me. Lord, you bless me. You bless me with a good marriage. You bless me with good kids. You bless me with great grandkids. You bless me with a good church. You bless me with a good family. You bless me with the truth. You bless me with life. You bless me with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So, so. Excuse me while I live in contentment. Excuse me while I live in contentment. Praise be to God. Don't be high-minded, he said. Don't trust in uncertain riches because God, the living God, has given us richly all things to enjoy. Then he said, they that do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. He didn't say all rich folks are lost. He said, no, if you are rich, watch your attitude. Don't trust in your riches. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. I said, enjoy what you have. Enjoy. 
Man, I wish I could get this right through our skull right here. Enjoy what you have. You got a hobby? Enjoy what you have. But know this, it come from him. Amen. You got something that you enjoyed? You like hunting, fishing? Playing ball? Golf? Shopping? I, I, ladies, crocheting? I don't know what to say. I'm not a lady, so I don't really know. What you have, enjoy. But don't stop giving him praise and glory. Watch your attitude. And then he said, be generous. Be ready to communicate. God, you bless me. I'm going to give back to the kingdom. I'm going to give back in that missions offering. I'm going to give back in the house of God. I'm going to be willing to communicate. Hallelujah, the goodness of the Lord. And he said in verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Praise God. Then he says in verse 10, going back to our original text in 1 Timothy 6, in verse 10, then he comes to that verse that a lot of people misquote this verse, but let's, let's look at it. For the love of money, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves, pierced themselves, hurt themselves with many sorrows. Money in itself, I don't even know if I have any in my wallet right now, but. Let's see what I got. Yeah, I got some receipts. <laughs> I would have to go into my, my, my Jesus money place to pull some money out. I ain't going to show you what that is. Money in itself is neither good nor bad. Okay? Money itself is not good or bad. It's what we call amoral. It's what we do with it and the attitude that we have toward it that makes it good or bad. One author said it like this, money simply makes you more of what you, what you already were before you had it. Money makes you more of what you already were before you had it. The love of money. The love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money. The Greek word here is excessive or insatiable desire for wealth or gain. The love of money opens the door to all evil. The love of money opens the door to things like, now the Bible says all evil. Let me just list a few. Coveting, lusting, greed, jealousy, envy, selfishness, embezzlement, abuse of the government, uh, abuse of government aid, bribery, deceit, fear, worry, stealing, lying, obsession, oppression, on and on and on. The love of money opens up the door to that. Ken Eidelman wrote a powerful book called God's at War. 
And in his book, he addresses the God of money and he says this, we think if we could just save enough or accumulate enough, we would have no more worries. Maybe you're afraid that the economy will collapse, he says, or your health will fail, or there will be terrorist attack, or you'll lose your job. And maybe you think if you could just save enough money, all your worries would go away. When we look to money as our security, it becomes our God. Because that's where we put our hope and our dependence. Prayer becomes nice, but not necessary because we feel we have enough to meet our own needs. Nothing wrong, brothers and sisters, with us saving money. But the love of money, the trust of money, the, the investment in money itself, that that is our source, that's where we get our strength, is where we get into trouble. But when we say, oh God, you're my source, now I'm going to have good stewardship, and I'm going to give, but I'm also going to save. I'm going to give, and I'm going to save. I'm going to follow good principles of paying my bills. On time. Thank you. Sister Gill takes care of the money in our house, paying the bills. Amen. And, and, and a few years ago when we went to get a, a, a car and we, we got a loan for a car, uh, my credit score was better than hers. Just saying. That was just, but thank you for helping my credit score be better. <laughs> but the reason we get a loan is because we had a great credit score. How do you get a good credit score? You don't need Carmen or whatever that apps are. You don't need, just pay your bills on time. You don't have to check your credit score every week to see whether you could go buy that, 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 that recliner. No, just pay your bills on time. And then save. Y'all caught me at a rare moment. I'm not sure not as tired as I was Sunday. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all been praying for your pastor. We need to identify the monster that is before us, and that is the love of money. Jesus called it mammon. It's a spirit. It's a spirit. It's, 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 it's a part of what the enemy uses. Then in verse 11, it says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. The phrase follow after means to pursue hard, to press forward. So the component here that we need to know is that we pursue God, not possessions. Somebody say, I pursue God, not possessions. Having more money is not always a blessing it comes from God. Sometimes it's from good, hard work. I understand that. But the blessing of life, no matter how much money you have, the blessing is this. It's regardless of what you got in your bank account right now, regardless of what, how much possessions you have right now, is that do you have contentment in your spirit? Is there contentment in your life? In Philippians chapter 4 is a familiar verse of scripture in verse 11 that Paul said this. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Somebody say, I've learned. I've learned. 
in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We don't have to learn how to worry. We don't have to learn how to grumble and complain. We don't have to learn how to how to be discontent. That comes with human nature. But we do have to learn how to be content. It's something that we learn. Amen. It's something that we go through. It's not just a lesson that we learn when we're young and we got it. No, it's a lesson we learn at middle age. It's a lesson we learn when we're newlyweds. It's a lesson that we learn when we've been married for a while. It's a lesson that we learn when we got kids and, and then when we get grandkids. It's, it's a lesson that we learn over and over. I'm 60 years old and I'm still trying to learn it again and again that I could be like Paul. Whatever state I'm in, I want to be content. At the time of this writing, he's in the city of Rome. In a prison, he can't go and come like he chooses, but he's content. He cannot preach and minister like he chooses, but he's content. He's lost his freedom. He's lost his privacy, but he's content. He's continually chained to a Roman soldier, but he's content. His only basic issues are food and raiment, but he's content. But he's content. Hallelujah. For I have learned, I have learned that my Lord is enough. I have learned that God is enough, that my daily walk with him is enough. Mr. Lightfoot, the great Greek commentator, says that, that this word content refers to someone who doesn't need anything else. I've learned. I'm all right. I'm learned. Can we learn today to be content when we have much and when we have little? Can we learn to be content when we've got it all covered and when we don't have it covered? Because God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's connected to content. Paul said it like this later on. I quoted this Sunday, but he said it this. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What is he saying? I can be content. In every situation, in every problem, in every trial, I can be content because I've got his power. Can you thank the Lord for his power to be content? Is anybody learning? Content, being content, and godliness helps us to understand that our circumstance doesn't dictate our contentment. Discontentment, on the other hand, puts us a victim of our circumstance. We're a victim of our circumstance. Brothers and sisters, we need to sell on our heart the fact that God will supply all of our needs. We made it through a pandemic. There's still a lot of craziness going on. There's still a lot of empty shells. Still have to wait for uh, stuff to be shipped. And we, 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 we've got, now we've got all kinds of other stuff coming down the pike and, 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 and things that we can see that are disturbing. But if God fed Elijah with ravens, he can take care of you. If God sustained the widow woman of Zarephath, God can take care of you. If God can cause manna to fall from heaven for three million people, 
Somebody say, he'll take care of me. 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 Amen. If he could feed 5,000 men plus women and children with a boy's lunch, he can feed me. I said he can feed me. Hallelujah. If the falling of a sparrow gets his attention, surely he knows his sons and daughters. Hallelujah. If, if the lilies of the field do not uh, go by without his notice, then surely you and me know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you stand your feet right now? Let us begin to thank the Lord. Let's fight the good fight. Let's not allow this world to suck us into discontentment. Let's not allow this world to suck us in so we are, we are at odds with everything that's going on with us. Is that, well, I wish I had more. I wish I had this. I wish I had better. I wish, oh no, it may come. It very may, may, may come. But right now, he's with me. Right now, he's with me. Right now, I'm content. Right now, I'm an overcomer. One more verse of scripture. I read again from Hebrews 13 and verse 5, but I also want to add verse 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. That, that's that, oh, I got to have, got to have, got to have. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake you. Somebody say amen. amen. But the next verse is a powerful verse. So, <laughs> that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, widows. Listen, widows. God's got his eye on you. God has got his eye on you. He won't take care of you. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.